Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12 um, and stand with me if you are able for the reading of God's Word. At that time shall rise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, seal up the words and seal up the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. It would be for a time, times, and half a time. And then when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would... Help make us wise. Lord, help us to understand as we come to the conclusion of this book what it means. Not just what this chapter means and not just what this book means generally, Lord, but what it is that you want us to understand about it and how it should change the way that we live. We don't come here just because we want to learn something new, just because we want to sing our favorite songs. We come here because we love you and we worship you. And we want to hear from you and we want to be more like your son, Jesus. But all of these things can only happen if you show up and if you aid us. So would you do so? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you take a seat? So we're finally at the end of the book of Daniel in chapter 12. And it's been a long road getting here, maybe some chapters longer than others. Thankfully, after last week, we have a much shorter chapter, but it's not necessarily that much easier to grasp either. These last half of the book of Daniel has all been about the apocalypse and the end of the world and the future and the things still to come. And so the question that Daniel has is the same question that we might have this morning, which is, well, so what? Or, in more eloquent words, maybe, you know, well, how do we really live in light of all of these things? In light of the end of the world and the light of the end that is coming, what difference is it spoke to, supposed to make in our lives? How should we live now, today, here? 
It's the question that we have, and it's a question that Daniel has as well. And really, there's three questions we kind of see that Daniel has in this chapter that we have. And the first is, and this just kind of summarizes everything that's been going on, not just through these last couple of chapters, but through the book. Is, and these three questions are, well, really, what is coming at the end? When is it coming, and what should we do? Or so what? How are we supposed to live? And so our first question we'll wrestle with is, what is coming? And so if you take notes in your blanks, the first thing that we know is coming is we know that destruction and deliverance are coming. We know that destruction and deliverance are coming. Daniel is told here at the end of these visions and the end of the last chapter as well that all these things are awaiting not just people in the future but God's people as well. There is both terrible destruction to come but there is also deliverance and salvation, and resurrection. I want to deal with the bad news first. It's always better to get the bad news out of the way. So let's talk about the bad news of the destruction that is coming. Daniel's told in verse 1, there shall be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation at that time. So what is coming? Trouble is coming. Right, trouble right here in River City is kind of what it sounds like, but not that kind of cute trouble. Your translation, it might say distress, or it might use stronger language. It tells us that this is whole time that is coming. It will be a time filled with horror and trouble and destruction. What kind of trouble? Trouble that there's never been up until now. There's never been this kind of distress for any nation that's ever been until the future when this happens. And it won't be just distress and trouble because of national problems. It won't just be because there was some bad leader who made some bad policy decisions. Now an economy's having issues. This is the kind of trouble that comes at the end of the world. This is the kind of trouble that comes from plague and famine and war and hurricanes and earthquakes and fire. It is that kind of trouble. It's the trouble worse than the ten plagues of Egypt. It is the wrath and the judgment of God being poured out from the bowls of revelation at the end. This is what comes. There's never been such a time of destruction or suffering. That is the future and that is not good news. That's bad news. Our culture, like all cultures, right, we love the idea of the end of the world. We're fascinated by what will destroy us. There's a whole genre of stories and movies and books and television shows that are all about the apocalypse. And they imagine different kinds of apocalypse of what will or won't destroy us. Will it be some kind of plague? Will it be a different plague like zombies? Will it be robots who come? Our own creation rises up to destroy us. Will the earth just crash and break? Will a comet streak across the sky and destroy us? Disaster movies and all sorts of things, but the reality is that it's probably going to be worse than even Hollywood or we can imagine. But there is good news. You might wonder how in the world there can be good news in the face of such disaster and suffering. Well, the good news is the rest of the verses if you keep reading. Well, there shall be a time of trouble such has never been since there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered. At that time, your people shall be delivered. There is destruction, but there is good news. There is also deliverance available for the people of God. There is a way out. This deliverance isn't just for Daniel and the Jews and the people of Israel. This is for all. 
Well, who is it really for if you keep reading? And the rest of verse 1, it says, Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. What book? This is the book of life. This is the book that has the list of the names of every single righteous person who has put their faith in Jesus. And in fact, that's the only way to get your name in this book. It's not from doing good deeds. It's not from being better than those around you. It's not for going to church every single week or reading your Bible extra or even memorizing some verses. It comes only by putting your faith in Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way to get it. And Jesus came. It's what we're going to celebrate next week, and it's what we celebrate every week. And he came and he died. But before that, he lived a perfect life, and then he died on that cross, a brutal death, to pay the penalty for our sins. And he was buried in the tomb, but then he came out resurrected, having defeated death and sin. All of that to get your name in this book. So that there could be deliverance for you when the end comes. And not just deliverance there, but deliverance from all sin and suffering that is to come. Now if you could go up, that you could see this book. You could pick it up and flip through its pages and search through. You, might, you would find the names of the apostles and heroes of the faith and you might find your name right next to them. You might even find your name next to some of your favorite heroes or pastors or theologians or authors. But no one's name is in there because they're obedient, so obedient. No one's name is in there because they're so righteous and awesome and they did amazing things for God. So they get to be in chapter 1 and you're back in chapter 12. All of our names are only in there because of the blood of Jesus and no other reason. Amen. And everyone's name who is in that book can receive deliverance and will receive deliverance. So then the question becomes, what kind of deliverance? All right, well, some will see this deliverance as a reference to, to a kind of rapture that maybe God's people will be taken away so they don't have to experience this suffering. This is God's promise to them that you might, maybe you see that there. I, I don't necessarily think that's what this is talking about. You're allowed to disagree with me here, but I think that this deliverance that it's talking about is not deliverance to be found in this life on this side of eternity. I think this is about the ultimate deliverance because God is telling Daniel about the end of the story. He's telling Daniel about what is the end of the world. And he's, he's saying, hey, look, Daniel, there is suffering that will come. And it's not, the good news isn't just don't worry, all these bad things are for other people. But there's only going to be great stuff for you. So Daniel, no matter the suffering and the destruction that is to come, there is deliverance for those who put their faith in me. And where is their deliverance found? We, we see it in the next verse if you keep reading. In verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some to everlasting life. This deliverance is a reference to the resurrection that is to come. It is our deliverance from death. In that final day, there will be many who have died. But when this day comes, they will get to wake up. This is why we talk about death in terms often in scriptures, those who have fallen asleep. It's not because we're trying to be pretty. Scripture has no problem being brutal and honest about the rough nature of life. But it's speaking to a deeper reality. For those who put their faith in Jesus, death is not the end. It is a nap. 
waiting for resurrection. Death is but a moment. And our resurrection will come and we will come back to life. Our deliverance is so much more and so much better than just avoiding some of these bowls of judgment, I think. It is that we will get to avoid death itself and experience life everlasting. It is the resurrection that Jesus offers. And when Jesus returns and he sets up his kingdom, there will be a resurrection day. No matter what you think about the rapture, what you think about the kingdom, is it actually a thousand years? Is it not? Is it before or later? What is coming? We all know that and all of us agree, resurrection is coming for those who put their faith in Jesus. And that resurrection is our deliverance. And because of that deliverance, we don't have to fear death. We don't even have to fear the horrors of what will come. We don't have to fear the horrors of, of what will be during this day of trouble. We don't have to fear the horrors of what may come in our own life tomorrow. If more horrors come before we even get to this part. Because we know that deliverance and everlasting life and resurrection are coming for those who put their faith in Jesus. We can face even our own death because we know that we will be delivered from it. We might not be delivered from suffering or trouble on this side of our lives or on this side of eternity, but we can know what will happen when our eyes close for that final time, that Jesus is waiting for us on the other side. Next week, we're gonna celebrate Easter and the resurrection of our Savior, but we celebrate it every week. That's the reason we gather on Sunday because our Lord was brought back from the grave. And because he was brought back from the grave, there is hope that we will be as well. So what does the end have? Yes, it's going to have destruction, but if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the end of the world will be a time of resurrection for you. Whatever you want to think about the details before we get there. But while they wait for the resurrection, they can know that God is caring for them. At the beginning of verse 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. He's saying, yes, this trouble is coming, but God is looking and waiting, and he has put his angels over his own people to keep watch over them, to care for them. If you come back Wednesday, we're going to talk a little more. I haven't forgot about chapter 10 of Daniel with angels and demons. We're going to talk a lot more on Wednesday night about angels and demons and kind of go into that. But this tells us here that God is not leaving his people alone, that he's sending his angels to watch over them and to care for them. How? I don't know, but it tells us that God cares. It's not just, well, it's going to be really bad, but at the end it'll be good. It's going to be really bad, but even in the midst of it, I'm with you and my angels care for you. The problem is that not all those who are resurrected experience life. When you look at the rest of two, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, but some to shame and everlasting contempt. Not everyone gets to experience deliverance. Some will only experience destruction. Some will be resurrected and they don't get everlasting life. Instead, they will get everlasting death. It's with the shame and contempt. It's pointing out that when they see their bodies restored at the end of time and they stand before Jesus, and every knee bows because they can't help it because they look at his glory. Some will be bowing in joy and some will be bowing in shame because they've denied Jesus all their life, but now with him before them, they can't deny it anymore. And now they will see the truth. 
about our God and about their sin. They will look at the face of our Savior and be ashamed that they ever doubt He existed or that they ever doubted that they had to care what He thought. They'll be ashamed at the glory of God and those who don't put their faith in Jesus will not find everlasting life. The shame and contempt, it's kind of a, a nice way, as nice as you can, to explain what awaits them with everlasting death. But everlasting life is available to anyone who wants it. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can get your name written on that book. It doesn't depend on your parents. It doesn't depend on anything other than if you will repent of your sins and confess that Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. And if you do that, that is the escape from shame and contempt, and instead you can awake to everlasting life. And in fact, you can get a taste of that everlasting life right here, right now. Verse 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and, and shall, those who turn many to righteous like the stars forever and ever. The wise are those who put their faith in Jesus, who wisely choose to receive deliverance from God instead of destruction. And they will shine brighter than the sky, but the brightest aren't just those who put their faith in Jesus. Do you notice who the brightest are? Those who turn many to righteousness. The brightest are not just those who put their faith in Jesus and then shut their doors and make sure they don't have to talk to any sinners anymore because they're righteous and good. The ones who shine the brightest are for those who go out like Jesus and seek and save the lost. They go and they eat and drink with sinners so that they can draw them and tell them about the righteousness and the life that is available to them. There's those who pray and long that all those that they know would find their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Those people shine like stars forever. So the question we have to ask ourselves is just, well, which is coming for us? Destruction or deliverance? It's a question that every human being who has ever lived must sit and wrestle with because ultimately it's the only question that matters. When this end comes, will you be, find yourself raised to contempt and shame or to everlasting life? Because it doesn't have to be shame. Because Jesus died on the cross to save you and to get your name written in that book. So we know that destruction and death are coming for everyone, but then our next question is, well, when? Really, that's the only question most of us have when it comes to, comes to the end. And all of our discussions about it or our details, we can, we can talk about different things. But ultimately, we're all just asking, when is this going to happen? Is it soon? Is it later? Do I need to worry about it? Is it going to be next week? Well, our, our, our answer, unfortunately, is, well, we don't know when they're coming. And your second blank is, we don't know when these destruction and deliverance is going to come. In verse 5, I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood on this bank of the stream and on that bank of the stream. These angels appeared way back in chapter 10. If you remember 10, 11, and 12, these chapters are all one vision that Daniel had. And it reminds us here, in case we've forgotten this, because back in chapter 10, in verse 4 and 5, he says he's standing at the river Tigris, and he sees two people on either side. And so now he's reminding you there's two on either side, and he sees them again. And he sees them, and one of those two figures says in verse 6, Someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Julie's really asking when. Not just when will it start, when's it going to end, when's it going to come? It's kind of all of that wrapped up in one. When is this happening? 
How long is everything going to be so terrible and awful? Well, well, first let's talk about the figure over the waters I mentioned back two weeks ago that I think this man in linen, this again this is the one described in chapter 10, I think this is Jesus. Because the description of him in chapter 10 and the description briefly of him here matches Revelation 1. And the way Jesus, clothed in linen, reveals himself. So I think that's him. Also because the angels are asking him information that only the Godhead knows. Which just tells us too, the angels don't know when the end is coming. They don't even know about God's plan. We can assume angels know a heck of a lot more about what God is doing than we do. Right? He get, they get to see him more than we do. And yet there are things they don't know about this either. So maybe that should make us feel a little better about what we don't know. And Jesus responds in verse 7, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He's floating and hovering above the waters, right? Much like the spirit in Genesis 1 who was above the waters before creation. And he raises his right hand and then he raises his left towards heaven and he swears by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people come to an end, these things would be finished. So he's raising his hands to make an oath is what this seems to be. It's much like it's an ancient tradition. It's still one we have today, right? If you find yourself in court or if you're just watching one on TV, more likely, and you see them before they take the witness stand and have to raise their right hand before they take an oath. So that is what is happening here. It is both hands being raised to show the trueness of this oath and he's swearing on God's name because it's the only thing God can swear by is himself. And so he swears that this suffering is only going to happen for time, times, and half a time. Our best guess is probably seems like the tribulation or this period of great trouble lasts for three and a half years, which is what God's kind of been saying throughout the book of Daniel. But he goes on to say, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. So God's people and all of our power, whatever that will be, whatever remnant of believers are left, their power will be completely shattered. What does that mean? I don't know. That sounds terrible, though. It sounds rough. It doesn't sound good. It sounds like about the worst end that you could probably imagine. But God's people's power will be totally shattered, and Daniel doesn't understand it because he says in verse 8, um, I heard but did not understand. So Daniel doesn't understand. Again, this is significant. Daniel's spiritual gift is understanding these things. It's understanding the visions and seeing the angels and all of these dreams and knowing what it means. But once again, he hears it. God is, Jesus himself is telling him, and he doesn't get it either. But Jesus himself later, right, he tells the disciples something similar when they ask, Well, Lord, when? When are these things coming? When are you doing it? And he says, It's not for you to know. Not even the Son of Man knows. Only the Father knows. And this is just for the Godhead. This isn't for you. It's above your pay grade, Daniel. And it's above the apostles' pay grade. It's also above ours, unless you think you're even higher than them or higher than the angels, which I don't. But so all that is to say that we don't really know when this is coming. But he starts talking about specific days, which makes us want to know even more when this is coming, right? 11 and 13. Or 11 and 12, it says, And from the time of the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. And blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. What does that mean? Good question. I'll give you 
the best answer that I've got, and then you can go and try and find a better one if you don't like it. Well, it seems like from the time this time period begins, right, when the burnt offering, when the sacrifices at the temple are taken away, and this abomination that makes desolate is set up. We know that this is something that Antiochus IV Epiphanes did. We've talked about him a little bit, right? This happened about 170 B.C., before Jesus came. He went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which was an unclean animal. And not just an unclean animal was sacrificed on the altar. It was sacrificed to a pagan god with this pagan god's Zeus idol brought into the temple. It desecrated the temple. It made it desolate and unusable. So they had to wait. And then had to go through years later and make the temple clean again. So some would say, oh, that was it. Or it seems it's either that or something more likely like that will happen again in the future. And then the clock starts. Maybe, but what do these days mean? The short answer is really nobody knows. Everyone had some ideas, but most seem to just kind of throw up their hands that I read and said, I don't know, but something that's important. We'll figure it out. Both of these time periods, they're about three and a half years, but they're different and slightly longer. Right? Well, some would say, okay, well, this is the tribulation, right? The tribulation starts, that's the time, times, and half a time, and it'll start then. The problem is about 30 days a month, that doesn't get you to 1,290 days. It's 30 extra days after it. And then goes, well, why is there some extra time? It's a little longer. Well, maybe it's because just three and a half years is being, you know, general, and this is more specific. It could be that. But then we have another 45 days. As well, after that, what does that mean? Well, there's something else going on. So the, some would say, well, it seems like maybe, you know, it's Jesus comes back after it, but it's going to take some time to get the kingdom set up, right? It's kind of, you know, a month or 45-day process of putting the, you know, establishing the kingdom, putting the apostles in charge, raising the dead, judging everybody. Maybe it just won't happen immediately. Maybe it'll take a month for all, everyone who's ever lived to be judged. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Most are content to say they don't know. And in fact, I think these numbers are somewhat intentionally confusing and vague. I think it's on purpose. I think God's not giving us all the details because we don't need to know. If we needed to know, He would tell us and He would make it clear. There's a lot in God's Word that is hard and is confusing and takes a lot of work. And even if you go to seminary for a while, like Rob and me, there will be plenty of things you will actually understand even less than you thought you understood it before. Hey, but there's so much and most of God's Word you can grasp and you can get. And children can get it. Why? Well, the stuff that we need to understand that is important for us to experience salvation and to live life, God made it clear and obvious. The things above our pay grade that maybe we don't need to know. He put them in here so we can have some of it, but he doesn't make it easy. That's intentional. It's not just because God forgot to give us all the details. It's because we don't need to know yet. But we do need to know, why does it give us these days? And so we can recognize God controls all of this down to the very day. Whenever it is, however it is, whatever it will look like, God is in control from day one to the end of day 1290 or day 1335, whenever that is. God knows. He's got it. So whether, you know, that you land on the exactness of these days or you symbolize them or spiritualize them, whatever you want to do with it, the point is God's in control. And He's got it. 
And some people have really gotten off track using these days. They've tried to use it um, to track when Jesus would return by using them as years or moving around the start date. I mean, you can go look up some of these people that did that. Um, spoiler, they, they died a long time ago and Jesus hasn't come back yet, so they got it wrong. So I'm not going to be too quick to start doing that either. I get nervous when we start using dates, so don't do that. And that's not the point of what this is. If you keep in mind, we don't know when Jesus is returning. We don't even know when the time of trouble will begin. But there is some good news in verse 10. Well, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined. So many, uh, this seems like many will be pursuing God. They will be just spiritually purifying themselves and following him in righteousness. But the wicked shall act wickedly. Right, so parallel ideas, that's why I think the first one is talking about them becoming righteous, not just describing some kind of ritual practice. But the wicked will sin, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise, which also would be the righteous, shall understand. So the righteous purifying themselves by the blood of Jesus, they're walking in obedience to Christ and righteousness, and these righteous individuals shall understand this stuff. Okay, that makes you stop for a second and go, well, wait a second, I thought you said my name was in the book, Pastor, and I don't understand what this is. And now this says the righteous shall understand. Well, maybe it's going to cause you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be the first to admit, in case I haven't already or haven't made it clear, I don't really understand what all of this means. But it's because I don't understand it, does that mean I'm not righteous? No. What, what is Daniel saying? I think what Daniel is saying, because Daniel himself in 8 says he doesn't understand. Okay, we know that Daniel is righteous. He's always been righteous. We haven't seen him sin one time in this entire book, all these 12 chapters. Well, the context of it, well, then let's look at the context. I think it also points to the future. In 9, Daniel is told, shut up the words. They're sealed for the time of the end. It's not just that these words aren't going to come true to the end. It's not just that this is a vision for the future when you're going to be long gone, Daniel. It's also that these words aren't even going to be able to be understood until the end. That no one can understand it yet, and when the end comes, they will. And then again in verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Some take this increase in knowledge to mean, you know, hey, that's God predicting Google and Wikipedia and the Internet, and, you know, we'll just get smarter and smarter. Uh, maybe. I don't quite think so. I think what Jesus is trying to say there is that in the future, people will understand these visions more than you do now. But I don't think it's just they'll understand it more because we'll have the book of Revelation, which Daniel did not have yet. And so we'll have more, and we'll have Jesus' own words where he talked about it, so we'll get more clues and more pieces of the puzzle to put together. But I don't think it means, hey, now we got those, so now we can all understand it, especially if you, you know, read the right books or listen to the right pastor, they'll explain it all together to you. No, I, I think what it means is it refers to those who will live in those days. When the end comes, then you'll understand it. Then it will be made perfectly clear. This is one of my firmest convictions, I think, about the end times. I think that all of these prophecies and all of these passages will become obviously true when they are fulfilled. And I think all these big camps or different camps of people who disagree about, you know, even large things about the end, they'll disappear because we'll all get on the same page, even if most of us were wrong. So, well, this is obviously it. Here it is. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will make it clear. And, but only then will it be obvious. When the time comes for us to know and understand, we will. Right? It's just like... My, like my young children, Calvin, he's three. There's a lot of things he doesn't understand and he wants to understand. 
or he wants to do things, and he asks me to let me do it. And, I say, and I, there's times I just I give up. And I, go, I can't even try attempt to explain this concept to you, Calvin. You just got to trust me. When you're older, I'll explain it to you. When you're ready, then you'll get it, and you'll understand. I know this is hard. I'm sorry. And it doesn't always make him happy, but you know what? One day he will understand. And just like us two, one day you might not be happy right now that you don't understand this, but one day you will get it. Whether the end comes or whether we go and get to meet with Jesus face to face, one day it will all be clear. And when we need to know, we'll know. And we can rest in that even as we sit in the uncomfortable moment of now because we only get glimpses. So that's true. What do we do? Or how should we respond? I think that we should respond the same way Daniel is commanded to respond. Or this is the kind of the, the title of the sermon I put here. Is we should go our way while we wait. It's your third blank. We should go our way while we wait. Daniel's told twice in verse 9 and in verse 13. That specific phrase, go your way, Daniel. And he asks again, God, no, okay, go my way, God. But I, I didn't get it. So can you explain it more? And then again in 13, no, go your way. You don't need to understand it, Daniel. What you do need to do is you need to go. You need, it's a command to return to the king's business. If you remember the end of chapter 8, when Daniel didn't understand the vision, and then he rose up and he went about the king's business. It's something similar here. God is telling him, go. Go back to being about my business. Go return to your ordinary life and obey me faithfully. After seeing this incredibly detailed vision in chapter 10, 11, and 12, or really if you want to go all the way back to 7, because that's what all of these have been, after seeing all of these visions, all of these and angels and demons and details about history, and he's getting to see Jesus, and he doesn't even recognize who Jesus is yet because he doesn't get the whole picture and his immediate future and the future of the cosmos, what is he told? He's told to go your way. And this command for Daniel is the same one that we have today. I think while we wait for a time and we don't know when it will come, what should we do? We should go and return to what God has called us to do. We should go and we should rest and stand in our allotted place, stand to where God has allotted us to be, where he chose for us to be born or where we find ourselves now today, and to be obedient where God's planted us, to walk with him and to follow what he's asked us to do, while we wait, because we don't know when it's coming. Now, there's two kind of extreme wrong responses that generally that can happen when it comes to the end times, right? So you can think of one wrong response, right, is to obsess and to predict. You can pick, I want you to picture somebody who prints off every chart they can find, right, about the end times, and they just start plastering them all around their, their office. And they start burying themselves in books about the end and start staying up late at night so they can try and get all of the answers. And keep reading more and more until they can find someone who explains it. And maybe they don't even have time to, to serve in the church or to minister in their community because they're too busy. They've got to figure this out. They end up filling up their house, right, with string. And they start just plastering strings all around and, and newspaper clippings on the windows because they've got to see, well, could this be it? Maybe this fulfills Daniel 12. Oh, maybe this one's Daniel 8. And they're obsessing about it. They start to quit their job and they cash out their retirement fund. So they you know, it's coming. I've got to get ready. And I'm going to start beefing up, you know, my tornado shelter because I, just in case, I want to get these things done. You think that's what God wants us to do? No, that's, that's an extreme, obviously, but that's an extreme way that we can respond. But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to go our way and be obedient now. But there's another extreme. The other extreme is just as bad. And as someone who says, you know, who really cares about the end? 
Well, it seems like my pastor, he seems pretty smart. At least I thought he was smart because he went to Dallas. They told me pastors from there were smart. No other one's figured it out, but he hasn't. So, you know, maybe this is just too hard. So I'm just going to tap out and quit and just not think about this anymore. And since no one can agree about it anyway, it must not be a big deal. So they start and they just skip all those parts of the Bible. So maybe they come back to Daniel again and they read the first six chapters because those are nice. They get to seven and they just go on to the next book as well. Too hard, so I don't want to read that anyway. And they decide, you know what, might as well just cut those parts out of my Bible because not reading them, they're too difficult anyway, it's, it really is taking up a lot of space. So they just pull out some scissors and just snip out, you know, the last five chapters of Daniel. But they keep going, you know, I just cut out most of Revelation, I don't make that anyway. Well, Jesus talks some about the end, I best better cut those sections out because I'm not going to read it, we can't do anything with it. Now, you know, Paul talked about it, I guess, in 2 Thessalonians and some other places. You know, we're just going to get rid of this, just to be safe. Well, even the Gospels, better cut out some of those. Because we're just not supposed to worry about it. Oh man, the Old Testament prophets talk about it too. I guess i got to you know, start figuring out what parts I can ignore. And before you know it, their Bible's half the size that it was before. Okay, that's an extreme. And that sounds foolish, but functionally that's what some of us do as well. We might not take scissors to our Bibles, but we act just like it when we get to something. Ah, that's hard. I'm just going to skip, move to the next thing. And before you know it, you've skipped half your Bible and you're never reading it. Because you think, well, I can't understand it. There must not be anything for me to do. As if the, whole, the only point of the Bible is for you to learn things. No, the point of this book isn't for you to learn stuff. It's for you to be like Jesus and to put your faith in Him. And instead, these prophecies, they're given for us not so we can understand everything about the end and gain knowledge, but it's so that we can obey and our obedience can be informed by what we do understand. Now, our only options aren't just to, you know, obsess or ignore... Instead, we can just go our way and be faithful, being about the business of our king while we wait for him to come. Jesus told parables like this, right? Of the master who goes away and he leaves his servants in charge of some things. And they respond in different ways while he's gone. Some invest and some just bury it. Some don't do anything. We might laugh and think, well, why would you just, why would you just bury your talents? Why aren't you, aren't you supposed to be doing stuff? But yet, that's how some of us can act when it comes to these things, when we just bury sections of God's Word because we don't want to read it. Now, the right response of faith for us is to be obedient to the path that God has placed on us. It's to serve the church that He's placed us in, that He's called us to. It's to serve and to love the neighbors that are around us. It's to serve and to love for the people that God puts in our path. It's to care for the poor that, have come, that we come across. It's to serve in the nonprofits and, and ministries that Jesus has given to us. We're to go our way in 13, you shall rest and stand in the allotted place at the end of days. I think we should stand where God's allotted you. He's placed us here in this place, Duncan, Oklahoma, Comanche, Marlowe, for a reason. He's placed you here, He's called you here. Now, you don't know when the end is going to come. It could come before I finish. It could come later today. It could not come for thousands of more years. I don't know when. So what should we do? What we should do is we should stand where we've been placed and we should go our way and be obedient to what God has called us to do and put in front of us. Because He knows. He knows what the end is and He knows what He's asked you to do. And I believe He's probably, I mean, He's God, so I think He's got this figured out. He's probably taken into account the end of the world in what He has asked you to do. So instead of you worrying about it, why don't you just obey? And let God worry about the things that are above, above us. What we can remember is one day, 
at the end of the day of the trouble, our Lord will ride across the sky and he will set up his kingdom once and for all. The graves will open. The dust shall gather back together and be made into full bodies. The dead will be raised and our bodies will be glorified and we will enter into that great rest promised in Hebrews 4 for those who put their faith in Jesus. But while we wait for that wonderful day, let's be faithful. Let that day not be a day that we are filled with shame and contempt because we're busy doing other things when Jesus returns. Or because we never got around to being obedient, we were busy doing something else. Let him find us faithful, going the way that he's asked us to go when he comes. Because if you do that, you will be ready when the end appears. Why? Because you'll be doing exactly what God asked you to do. There's no better thing. So in summary, what have we talked about? Well, we know that destruction and deliverance are coming. We don't know when they will come, but while we wait, we go our own way. Not just our way determined by us, but the way that God has placed before us of what He has asked us to do. And if we do that, we'll be ready. I'm going to close us in prayer and invite a worship team to come up and lead us in one more song. God, I ask that you would help us to be faithful. Lord, there, there is much in your word that we don't understand, especially when it comes to the things about the end. There's things that we do understand and maybe it just drives us to want to argue and to fight with others so they can understand it the way that we understand it. Lord, help us to avoid the extremes of obsessing or ignoring. Help us to be, to be informed. Help us to find comfort in what you tell us and what you promise about the end, that you were in control and that resurrection and deliverance awaits all those who put their faith in you. Lord, and would knowledge of that transform the way that we live? Would we go the way that you have called us to go? And would we serve you faithfully? And when you return and when we are resurrected, will we hear you say those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Not because we're so amazing or so righteous, but because your Holy Spirit has come and equipped us and aided us and helped us do it. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we worship our God once more in song? Amen. I hope he does live inside your heart. I want to remind you, before I read our benediction, Wednesday we're going to kind of do an overview of angelology and demonology um, since they've been popping up, and I promised that a little bit back in Daniel chapter 10, so my wife reminded me not to forget. We'll cover that again. Um, and next week is going to be Easter. Um, in case that has slipped your calendar or you've been busy or just overwhelmed with other things, um, so I hope that you, um, whether you've been observing or thinking of this time of Lent, spend this week um, anticipating, praying, and looking forward to gathering again next week to celebrate our risen Savior. Um, and maybe invite a neighbor or a friend to come worship with you. Um, but here's our benediction from the end of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.